Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I have kind of mixed feelings about sermons. Now, I'm a pastor, and I preach every Sunday, and so I say this with some fear and trembling. But, you know, sometimes I wonder how effective sermons are. Uh, As a receiver of sermons, and I've received many sermons over the course of my life, I probably don't remember 99% of the sermons I've heard. And as a preacher, that bums me out, (laughs) right? Now, at the same time, some sermons I've heard have been life-changing for me, right? There are some sermons over the course of my life that have challenged me in ways that I needed to be challenged, which led to stretching myself in new ways. Uh, Some sermons have spoken exactly the words of encouragement that I needed at that particular time. And some sermons have opened my mind and my spirit to thinking about God and about myself and about the world in new ways. And so I guess the challenge for you and me then is, how do we preach sermons that connect? Sermons that make an impact, sermons that resonate. Well, my guest Lisa Lamb is a preacher and a preaching professor who has written a book to help us do just that. Uh, In fact, the title of her book is Resonate, How to Preach for Deep Connection. Uh, The book is great, and this conversation is so helpful, especially if you are a preacher. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 161 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Hey everyone, I'm here with Lisa Lamb. Uh, Lisa is professor of preaching and theology at St. Paul's Theological College, uh, as well as other schools in Malaysia and India, uh, and is also the author of Resonate, How to Preach for Deep Connection. Hi Lisa, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have I'll you here. I'll say this morning for you. Oh, evening, yes. But for me, morning. That's yes. r- right, yeah, for you. What time is it for you? It's four in the afternoon for me. What is it for you? Seven, seven a.m. Seven a.m. Oh man! So I'm I've sorry. got my growly morning voice, but <laughs> right, <laughs> no problem. Right. Great to be with well, you. Well, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of that, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I teach uh, for three different schools here in in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and via Zoom, I teach uh, in India and in another uh, more closed country that I won't mention. Uh, but uh, so it's a real adventure. It's a joy. I, I love what I do here and have wonderful, wonderful students and excellent uh, colleagues as well. So oh, that's great. And you have uh, you know, the podcast is uh, part of Fuller's uh, Church Leadership Institute. You've been with Fuller, I think you said as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, a double uh, alma mater of my MDiv and my PhD from Fuller, was mm-hmm. an excellent mentor mentors in uh, pastoring and preaching from Fuller. And then I taught there as adjunct and affiliate faculty and visiting faculty, all sorts of arrangements over about uh, 12 years. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, I'm very glad to to have you here today. Um, I want to ask you a quick little get to know you question. And um, uh, the question is just, would you rather uh, take a vacation in Hawaii or in Alaska and why? Well, I love Hawaii. I've been there a few times, but I'm going to pick Alaska because I actually have the joy of living where I have plumeria trees and wonderful mm-hmm. uh, um, tropical scents and greenery 
all the time. Right. <laughs> uh, so whereas Alaska, I've, I've never been, and I think that would be really exciting yeah. and fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been there either. I would like to, I, I want to experience uh, a really long day and I want to experience a really long night. Just, just once. I don't want to live in that. <laughs> exactly. I don't think, but I'd like to no. see what that's like for a day or two. You know, uh, I have a friend who uh, lives there and posted on Facebook, I think during the summer, is that the equinox or solstice or whatever. And uh, it's a midnight trip to wherever the, uh, uh, um, a little picnic in the park, but the sun is still <laughs> out at midnight. And so it's just <laughs> wild. <laughs> That's great. Anyway. So uh, that has nothing to do with what we'll be talking about today, <laughs> but I, I am excited to talk about your book um, uh, again, titled resonate uh, how to preach for deep connection. And um I think maybe a good place to start is just kind of asking you what, well, let me start with this. What do you love about preaching, right? It's a great book. And I really appreciate some of the things that I have learned as, as a preacher from this book and am going to apply uh, to my sermon preparation. But what do you love about preaching? Well, uh, it is in the name of the book. I really do love the connection. I'm not one of those gurus that just loves to pump out ideas. I really like to see, I like to be there, which is why the pandemic was hard. And I like to, to actually see that I'm connecting, that my words are connecting and that, that they're having an impact. People are yeah. engaging with the scriptures, yeah. with God, uh, and I, I, when I have that feeling that I am delivering good news yes. to people who really are hungry for that, that is yeah. just such a joy. Yeah, yeah. I Just reflecting on that myself, I love it when I see someone's eyes get wide, you know, or mm -hmm. they close their eyes and start nodding or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. It's working for at least one person, you know, and uh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, Say a little bit about the title of the book, too, and what you mean. Well, I guess you've kind of touched on it, but the, the title is Resonate, right? How to Preach for Deep Connection. What, is the, what does that mean, to, to really resonate? Yeah, well, I, th I think, um, I mean, I think of those times where Jesus' words, just he, they, the people were astounded, or, you know, there was that sense of, oh, this is landing, this fits. And then mm -hmm. I love what the uh, title artist uh, conceived of with the book, where there's a a rippling out on a pond and there's, there's effects going on that we don't even really know about. And that sense mm -hmm. that the Holy spirit is present causing us, our ordinary human words to accomplish something deep within people that far beyond mm -hmm. our frail abilities to make that happen. Those are just, those are really truly wonderful moments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. Um, now, um, kind of the way that you frame um, the book and the way you talk about preaching is around the use of verbs. And um, so maybe you could just sort of unpack that framework and uh, kind of the approach that you take uh, to helping us think about preaching. Yeah, that really grew out of my teaching as I started mm -hmm. noticing that I was regularly giving people feedback along those lines. I was realizing oh, you never spoke out of the first person. You never brought yourself to this sermon. Or you never spoke with the, you never shifted from the third person, just declarations of truth to yeah. talking right to us to in yeah. second person, direct address. Yeah. We need that. We need you to 
talk right to us. And I, I noticed that I, that I was crafting almost a paradigm hmm. for my own uh, feedback to students mm-hmm. that, oh, you know, it's all active voice, which in my case means it's all human effort. And you mm. need to give us that passive voice where we're receiving the work of God. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, that's active on God's part. But in my sure. paradigm, I I, yeah. I try to think of do. So I, I noticed that for myself, it was becoming a helpful paradigm, a check, yeah. uh, not a cold checklist, but uh-huh. a checklist in the helpful sense of the word that it was a, yeah. a grid that I could go through and check. And then I think of it as checking for the ch- connection points am I, yeah. where my words can land with impact for people. Yeah. That's great. Can you walk us through sort of some of the verbs and and what they mean uh, in terms of our preaching? Yeah, well, uh, the first person I talked about bringing ourselves to our sermons in uh, responsible ways, not uh, but but uh, authentic ways. Second person would be that direct address that's speaking right to us. Third person, I in my parents. Would you mind if we sort of just, I'm I'm using one of your words from the book, linger, Uh, (laughs) maybe with each of these just a little bit. I'd love to just sort of uh, unpack what, so the first person, um, the first person address is uh, my own stories or or my own feelings or approach. Is that right? Yeah. I brought in it out to even bringing my confusion with the text, even Mm -hmm. my uh, initial resistance to the text, uh, uh-huh. all of that, my love for Jesus. My, I, so I talk about, Augustine has this idea that preaching is publicly worshiping. Uh-huh. And so it's that, that uh, my mm. being willing to share my delight in a passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, it's personal stories, but more than that, it's almost that stance of being present with my people as yeah. I'm preaching to them, really wholeheartedly yeah. bringing my witness to yeah. what I've seen and discovered and loved and initially yeah. resisted and puzzled over all week right. long. Because it can be really uh, tempting, or and, and maybe when you're a newer preacher, you know, to just sort of say, what's the right information? How do I communicate right. this information in a way that makes sense or uh, whatever, but it really is part. Of, and I, I love this, you know, you, one of the things I think you said in there was, you know, even acknowledging, I really struggled with this part of the passage this mm-hmm. week or something like that, you know? Um, and I, I was reminded, <laughs> I, I pre- so a personal story. I preached on Ananias and Sapphira last fall. And, um, it, <laughs> you know, it was one of those. So, and I, and I, I changed my whole sermon halfway through. Cause I was like, this is this is not working, <laughs> um, and uh, I told them up front. I'm, I'm not trying to. Anyway, I'm not trying to use myself as an example, as a positive. But uh, anyway, but it resonated with me, so to speak, um, because uh, you know, I said, you know, halfway through the week, I realized I was. I feel like I'm trying to convince you of something that I don't know if I need to convince you of. Let's just ask the uh-huh. questions and see what we can figure Good. out. And yeah. anyway, yeah, and um, there is something powerful about that. I think when. A, a pastor or preacher says, uh, these are the questions that I brought this week or, or had it as I was working through this. And, you know, it, it's uh, if you dig into Chrysostom and Augustine, it's amazing. Their sermons are filled with questions. Mm. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah so there, we're, there's a rich tradition of that, including yeah, Jesus, yeah. of course. 
Well, and, and so then let's talk about then the second person. Uh, that's more of the you uh, direct address. Is that right? Or Yeah, direct address is powerful speech. It, it's the speech that we use when we bless people. It's the mm. speech we use when we really land. We could, we could name a theoretical concept, but then we take mm-hmm. it home and we promise it to people that, yeah. that this is good news for you this very week. Um, yeah. It's sometimes the, uh, the place that allows us to do little harder things like warning people of things mm-hmm. um, that we warn. I, I warn you is direct address. Uh, as yeah, well, yeah. so but it's, it's so it's kind of the point where we get down and dirty and really di- yeah. really direct with yeah. people about implications, uh, positive yeah. and maybe less so, <laughs> uh, of our speech. Yeah, yeah. What what uh, what do we lose? Do you think if we don't uh, do that? If we don't directly address people? Yeah, yeah. We lose power. You know, I, when mm. I think of. Um, Again, I'm going back to that verse, but where the people were astounded by Jesus' words for he taught with authority. I think part of the authority that we see in a something like the Sermon on the Mount is he's talking right to them. You know, mm. he he shifts to blessed are you in that yeah. uh, sixth or seventh uh, beatitude, and then really the rest yeah. of the sermon he's he's very don't don't give your gifts in public. He's very direct. Mm directly yeah. speaking to people. And yeah. uh, it's it when the reformers were looking around at some of the uh, mediocrity and deadness in the church, that was one of the things they identified was we're not talking right to people when we preach. Mm. We're talking mm. about things and in yeah. abstractions. And so that was part of their their movement was to get it back on the ground, get it back right uh, speaking yeah. to, to people's hearts. Yeah, so the power, I like that. There's power in that direct address. Um, okay, and then uh, there's third person is next. Is that right? I mean, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The the third person is is the proclaimer. That's that's mm-hmm. us actually taking all that good exegetical work we've done, uh, all those foundations we build when we walk people through a passage, and then we kind of do that synthesis work where we, and we lift it up in, um, in a, a declaration of the goodness of God. And yeah. that's a, that's a step that it, you would think, well, how would we ever miss that or forget to do it? Yeah. But, uh, it, it does sometimes go missing. And yeah. there is a, there's a, I, I think there's a riskiness Marcus to all of these. Oh, yeah. And I mm. think there's a risk in that one of seeming a little childlike, in our bold, unabashed worship of God as we declare his goodness. And yeah. uh, so it's a stepping into our authority to declare yep. the goodness of God that we just don't, oh, you know, make that yeah. that last yeah. step as preachers to yeah. do what we have been called to do uh, yeah. and declare. Uh, but so it's yeah. also just, it's the place where I think about how we teach theology mm. and doctrines. Mm. Uh, Interesting. So it's it's where we do that synthesis work of what does this imply about uh, yeah. what the atonement means. Or Interesting. Um, and then, uh, okay, so first, second, third person. And then and then you, you'll have to remind me. And then beyond that, what else is there? Now keep going with the framework then. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so third person plural is 
these things are true. So that's where I have a little section mm-hmm. on teach being preachers of wisdom, preachers who mm-hmm. teach um, virtues and vices of, of the life yeah. of discipleship and holiness. So uh, yeah. it's it's more kind of stepping back from your text directly and and teaching on uh, wisdom for living. Uh, yeah. Sometimes just getting practical. Um, yeah. And then I move into the tenses, the past, present, and future. So right. the past right. is my chapter on good storytelling, by which okay. I don't mean cute, cute illustrations from today, but which are important, uh-huh. can be. But uh-huh. uh, I mean, really retelling the stories, the narratives of scripture mm. well, yeah. Le- really letting people uh, enter the world of scripture by our, yeah. our uh, good uh, retelling of scripture yeah. Yeah. in lively ways. There's something uh, really powerful, I think, uh, about telling the story of scripture. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, some passages aren't a story, it's a teaching, but there's, Mm-mm. it's like, there's still a story that you can, mm-hmm. there's a story behind it, you know, and if you can right. get to the story behind it, do you have any thoughts on on that and how to do that? Yeah, well, uh, Fuller's own Joel Green ha- has done uh, a really good work on that, and I think it, I think it was his book, the name of which is escaping me at the moment. But uh, uh, he t- where he talks about that there's always a backstory, there's always yeah. a story that gave rise to the scripture, whether that's right. the story of what put the psalmist into this despair or mm-hmm. the story of what was going on in Corinth that yeah, right. uh, caused Paul to, to need to write these right. strong words. So we can always, uh, or there's the overarching story of God that this passage yeah. is one part of. Uh, right. So we are definitely story-wired, story-formed people. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever we can access that, we should, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so that's the past tense. Uh, and then present tense is that the present is um, the I call it priestly work of discerning mm-hmm. what God is up to in the present. And I thought about this a lot in the pandemic because I thought that pastors who were leading their congregations mm-hmm. well in that time were interpreting for them how to understand the pandemic. And it, it made a big difference in whether those churches were just kind of hunkering down and weathering it and waiting it out, or whether they were on the lookout even for ways to be creative, serve hmm. their own elderly, serve their communities. You know, it's asking that question yeah. of what is what is God up to in this moment? Right. Uh, it's how we interpret. So this is in some ways where we preach uh, justice, because mm-hmm. it's how we look at the news and how we look at poverty and uh, suffering and struggles mm-hmm. in our neighborhoods, in our communities right now, and interpret those things uh, biblically for our people, asking and inviting, mm-hmm. what can, what are we being called to do to enter into that? Right. I, I guess the question I want to ask there is, and what I, I kind of like I asked earlier, what, what do we lose if we don't? do that because it's so easy also just to focus on the past someone said to me oh i'm so glad you talk about what we should do now you know (laughs) because yeah oh i hear that a lot in your podcasts i love them yeah good (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so what what do we lose if we don't uh, focus on the present well you know it is where we live and 
we want our people to be agile and uh, able to flex with what comes their way, to respond well to what goes yeah. on. I mean, it is really where discipleship is lived out, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if we, we, I think preaching the present, preaching that, that lot, you know, and I, I recall listening and sitting uh, uh, with a, a pastor who did this well, and I felt like I was being trained in how to respond to life. Uh, as it yeah. came my way, you know, with op- wide open eyes, alert for the work of God, discerning the invitations of God for me and for our community. And it was just mm-hmm. a, he was forming this mm. uh, very creative community that was able to respond yeah. with faith and hope and love right in that moment. Yeah. And uh, so I, I've seen this modeled well. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, okay, and then uh, future, right? Would be next. Yeah, the future yeah. is uh, where you'll see Todd Bolsinger quoted uh, a oh. few times <laughs> because he, uh, you know, his quote about energizing a community towards their own transformation mm. is yeah. really uh, that was my header for the chapter that leadership mm-hmm. is energizing a community toward their own transformation uh, because it is. Uh, filled with hope. And mm-hmm. so I just did in that chapter, I dig into actually some of uh, my own uh, theological and biblical, I've done quite a bit of, of writing and reflecting on hope yeah. and yeah. Uh, what, how it uh, shapes us to be faithful people in the world if we are filled with hope. So I, I just write about, about hope itself as a quality for a while, but then also just talk, give some real practical skills for preaching vision, vision yeah. for your congregation, yeah. how we preach it. You know, I think for some churches, there's kind of an annual vision Sunday, but mm. I hope they're all vision Sundays right. and on, <laughs> on some level and that we're regularly infusing our people with, with uh, yeah. visionary hope for yeah. their own lives, their congregations, um, yeah. eternity. <laughs> and, um, do we, do we have to do all of these every Sunday in every sermon or, uh, <laughs> how do we balance all that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think that would be uh, a little too heavy a burden for any one sermon to bear. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, what I say in the book is that it's, it's a way to evaluate yourself as a preacher. So looking yeah. back over a season over the last three months, what did I do well? And mm. what did I miss? And it's a way to, it, and it is a way to look at any one sermon, especially if it kind of flopped or fell flat. Yeah. And to say, you can look back on it and say, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't bring any hope. <laughs> that probably uh-huh. is, a, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't uh, take us into the past at, it, mm. at any depth. Um, so yeah. it's a, it gives us a really good evaluative grid for reflecting yeah. on our preaching as much a, a, over a season as any one specific sermon, but it can be a helpful tool uh, for just yeah. lifting up a sermon and, and noticing yeah. things about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How have uh, you've been teaching this, I assume, how, how have your students um, responded or how, uh, do, do they find it pretty helpful or how do you know, curious about your reflections on uh, students and how they do this? 
I'm um, I'm taking it out for its first real test drive um, mm. in in India with a group of D Min students. It's okay. a really exciting school. They teach. They are able because of technology to uh, offer a D Min to students in uh, I won't even name the countries. Several countries where there is very little theological education on the ground, and uh, very difficult countries for the church today and uh they have uh, a really wonderful group of demon students so that's starting next month uh we're nice. that's the going to be the first time since i just wrote the book uh that'll yeah. be the first time i really okay. test drive the book as a whole and and, and ass- yeah. assign aspects of it to really be nice. uh, brought into the sermons and use right. it as a, a i think i'll create a a self-evaluation sermon evaluation tool built around it. So nice. I'll let you know in uh, okay, three good. months. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, now, of course, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think uh, preaching, the purpose of preaching is really to lead towards transformation uh, for people, yeah. right? Um, and for the congregation and uh, beyond that, even for the community as the congregation is transformed, mm-hmm. hopefully that leads to, transformation for our neighborhood as we live out uh, the mission of God. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm thinking about um, how that happens. Okay. So uh, you've got a section in, in your book about different, I think you call them modes of verbs, Mm -hmm. which is your Mm -hmm. language for moods. Sometimes they're called moods, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Indicative, imperative, and subjunctive. And I think, if I recall correctly, you talk about those in terms of transformation. And so, yes. so maybe mm-hmm. um, talk about how those three modes of verbs, what they are, and how that can lead to transformation in our congregations. Yeah, that's great. I would love to just tuck in one more yeah. uh, person who's transformed before we uh, answering your question, because oh. uh, you talked about the congregation and the community and I. I, uh, you may have said this, but I wanted to stress uh-huh. that yeah. one of the things that I'm hoping is an overarching theme of my book is the transformation of the preacher. Mm, um, yeah, good. Okay. And, Say more about that. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I, I just, you know, especially in this era, uh, as the, we're all a little spooked by chat GPT, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've tried to have it write I a have, sermon yeah. for you, but... <laughs> <laughs> They're well, pretty sad, really. They, I know. I know. <laughs> but um, my deep conviction is that preaching is given to us as a gift from God, mm-hmm. as a, a puts us on a shared journey of transformation along with our congregations, and that yeah. when we are engaging this as a, at a deep level, it is life giving for us, yeah. and not something we would want to cheat ourselves of by uh, outsourcing it. Uh, yes. And turning it into an admin task <laughs> with ChatGPT, so uh, that's just my little plug for. I think that part of the burden that caused me to write this book was I really wanted to see preaching be mm-hmm. a life-giving joy for preachers. Yeah. Right. But uh, let me let me get back though to uh, the the modes. Yeah. I think are are they are as you mentioned they are about leadership. These are dimensions mm-hmm. of leadership. For, mm-hmm. for us as preachers, they're influence levers that we use. And uh, I just want us to be conscious of them and aware, mm-hmm. again, almost in that, that the whole book is a, a tool for a reflection and evaluation on 
what you do well and where you need to grow. And here, um, some of us slip into imperative, which is the command mode, uh, very easily, too easily. <laughs> we get into mm-hmm. haranguing and and uh, mm. uh, shaming, yeah. even condemning people with uh, just that. And and some of us are terrified of it and never go to it. Yeah. And so mm. uh, we need to, uh, which is also an, an abdication of leadership, is also an abuse mm. of leadership. So we mm. need to um, not shy away from uh, imperatives, but. I argue that often we, we also skip just simply the indicative and we overlook the power that yeah. the indicative is just describing reality. Uh, right. And that's, um, isn't it Max, is it Max Dupree uh, who said the first task of a leader is to describe reality? I think to so. Name reality? I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so, uh, that, that if, if that is the first task of a leader is to describe reality, then uh, we need to do that well in ways that uh, evoke desire, that, that name God, name God's beauty, name reality in winsome, attractive ways yeah. that draw people to it. And that, that that is leadership more than we think that is an influence strategy and, and an indicative, uh, just an example, I mean, something like God is love, it, it, like that would yeah. be an indicative statement, right? Just here's a statement of yeah. fact, so to speak. And there's power mm-hmm. in that. I, I love that you brought that out because uh, you're right. We kind of don't even really, really think about it that way. Um, we think there's power in the command, the imperative, but yeah. uh, well, we yeah. don't think of that. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's good. Okay. So the indicative and then there's the imperative. Is that right? That's the next one. Yeah, actually, there's a middle uh, liminal space that I'm so intrigued mm. by, which is the subjunctive, and that oh, immediately yeah. sends sends off alarm bells of ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually love that part in the grammar book. classes. Yeah, but, yeah thank you. Good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. It's uh, if you took. Uh, Latin or something, the subjunctive can get very complicated and difficult, but it is a, a, a beautiful place of imagining. It's where we, mm. uh, it's where we say, what if we were to, to look at this problem as an opportunity? Yeah. What if we were to find the gifts in this difficult yeah. situation? Yeah. Yeah. What if God is up to something here beyond what we can see? Uh, yeah. That's the space that the subjunctive lets us enter mm-hmm. into is imagining, yeah. dreaming, positing, reframing. Uh, yeah. And it's very much the work that we see the prophets engaged in mm. uh, throughout the scriptures. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, well, and then uh, uh, and then say something about the imperative. And then I have one more question, uh, kind of kind of bring it all together. Yeah, the imperative is commanding. And mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think that 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 can frighten some pastors, and some pastors slide right into it all too easily. Mm-hmm. And so, it's good to just be aware. Um, yeah. But uh, it it is a gift we give our congregations, and you, when you think about it, we don't mind being told what to do by our uh, trainer. Uh, I don't have a trainer, but <laughs> if you have a trainer at the gym, or you know, or uh, to do all sorts of things by someone who. Uh, is equipped to ask yeah. us to do those things at the right time um, yeah. and for our good when when we've built the trust yeah. and we we know that 
it is for our good. And uh, so I, I have some uh, quotes of Andy Crouch and Eugene Cho mm-hmm. using the imperative uh, mm-hmm. in really strong and uh, vital ways mm-hmm. uh, to, mm-hmm. to uh, commanding us to, to do things to, to choose life. And yeah. so we see, um, so I'm trying to come to its defense that it's not the, yeah. uh, the mode of, of scolding well, and haranguing, but of inviting people to, to choose yeah. life. And yeah, so I love that. Choose life. That's a command, right? Uh, yep. As opposed, yep. and that's probably a more appropriate kind of a command than vote Democrat or vote Republican or something like that. You know, <laughs> um, those are. Yes, we can certainly abuse the imperative yeah. in the in the pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very helpful, right? Uh, choose life. Um, love the Lord your God, right? And love your neighbors exactly. yourself. Those are commands. Yeah. Um, and uh, and those are good commands. Um, they're they're mm-hmm. life giving commands. Um, yeah, that's good. And we do and we do turn away from destructive things as well. We do mm-hmm. because we love people. We want to exhort them to do that as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so um, this has been a great sort of summary of your book. There's much more to it, and so no one should think that they got the whole thing. <laughs> and there are some really great sections in there, which I really appreciated, kind of little ask this sections and try this with little kind of tips or ideas to experiment uh-huh. with your preaching, and I really love those. Um, okay, so uh, kind of a final question. As pastors, you know, we are... Uh, we face a lot of challenges, um, um, especially sort of in a post-pandemic world and in a world in you know that has changed a lot in the last twenty or thirty or fifty years. Um, Christianity is not at the center of culture the way it once was. It's still there's it still has a lot of influence, but not as much. Um, but it's just it's just different. And and coming out of the pandemic, you know. Um, uh, just there, there was a lot of tension. There were a lot of competing values, um, you know, c- uh, the desire for community, but also the desire for safety, you know, safety. and um, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the, the desire to care for people's health and the desire for to care for people's needs, you know, for community or, or, or human interaction and, and all those kinds of things, right? And so, so competing values are always there in our churches. And so I wonder if you just reflect for a moment, just kind of a final way of bringing mm. it all together. How can we use, how can in our preaching, how can some of these things that you've talked about, the different verbs or the tenses or the moods and all modes, right? Uh, how, can we, how can these be brought to bear on helping congregations wrestle with competing values? Yeah, that's such a great question for today, Marcus. It is just, it is not over. And we, mm-hmm. I know my, my own church is still wrestling with masking and not masking and mm. how packed do we fill the space? Um, I actually am part of a fairly large church here in mm. Kuala Lumpur. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can, we can have a pretty full building at times. Um, but there is still ongoing debate about that. And yeah. I think it just, I guess the um, part of my overarching goal is to be forming preachers as uh, sages, as as uh, mm. people of wisdom and of love. Mm. So we are, uh, and I love your motto of getting up on the balcony. That this is mm-hmm. a moment for that. That we're we're 
we're so tempted to just plunge into the fray because there's a lot of work to do and we got to shore up all these things that went, uh, that withered during that time, got to uh, tease those tendrils back to life. But we also need yeah. to tend to the roots and yeah. uh, get in, get, get uh, at what matters most. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that uh, continuing to preach the shared vision, the, the mm-hmm. common, you know, especially when we continue to be divided and there's another presidential election scene around the corner. I'm, I'm a, a little relieved to be at a distance from it. <laughs> but yep. America's reach is long and it is, it is uh, ever-present. Uh, but yeah. so many more opportunities to offend each other, be alienated, divided, break into camps. And so yeah. the, the call of the preacher to be rooting us in our common vision, our shared yeah. values. It's yeah. just never more urgent, I think. That's where uh, uh, it feels like this subjunctive. I've, I, I, th- I thought a lot about that mm. one as I was reading, you know, the subjunctive. And, w- you know, what if we could all, whatever, you know, be on the, yeah. same, I don't know yeah. if you'd say be on the same page, but uh, learn to love or learn to care. I don't know. But um, yeah. yeah, anyway, I love that. Well, I'm really grateful for, for this book, and um, I, I feel like I learned a lot. And as I mentioned, I think before we started recording, I even made some notes for my Easter sermon coming up. <laughs> this, this may, I think this is going to go live after Easter, but um, anyway, uh, but it was very, very helpful. Um, if people want to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, or you know, where, where can they go? I am uh, sent here with Paraclete Mission Associates, and I have a page on their website, my husband and I do. And I'll include that in the show notes, and then they can find your book uh, on Amazon or probably wherever books are sold. Well, uh, Lisa, thank you. This was great. Uh, I'm really grateful for this book, and um, and I'm grateful for uh, the work that you're doing uh, with people who I think need to learn what you've got to bring. Uh, so thank you for doing that, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Marcus. This was great. Really appreciate it. Well, I just want to say again that I really, really found Lisa's book Resonate helpful. Uh, I love the framework of thinking about our sermons in terms of the verbs and their persons and their tenses. And I especially love the section, both in the book and in our conversation, on the subjunctive mode. That's the mode that allows us to ask, what if? Right? It allows us to imagine what could be. It allows us to dream about new ways of being in the world. And so, you know, preaching matters, right? (laughs) Because preaching is one of the ways that we can lead our people through challenging and disruptive times. Uh, Now, my guess is that learning to lead in challenging times is one of the reasons that you're listening to this podcast. And if you would like to keep learning to lead effectively in challenging times, I want to invite you to sign up for the Church Leadership Institute newsletter. You can do that by going to www.depree.org church, and you can sign up there. Finally, if you have found this episode helpful, would you share it with someone you know? And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, we would be so grateful if you would rate and review this podcast. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Music